With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just getting everything turned on. Uh, I know how that is. <laughs> Just walk in a room and it happens. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. We like to call that the magic. <laughs> Who's we? You know, people who do the magic. <laughs> people around you? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't heard from Drew, so. Well, he's probably asleep. Of course. Or drunk. It is one in the afternoon. Right. Well, no, it's it's three there, right? I don't know how time works. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome another edition of the Hammer and Rails podcast. Uh, it is Jumbo Heroes here, and the only other one we've got on here is going to be Casey. Um, we've just decided to do an issue or an episode of nothing but rants on sports-related topics. So, uh, Casey, how are you doing today? My only question is, what do we do the rest of the time? Because I don't, I don't think we've ever not just ranted at things. Yeah, but those were at least Purdue news-related. This one is only Purdue adjacent. That's true. Which, yeah. you know, fun for us. Yeah, fun for us, and maybe people will listen. Maybe they won't, but, you know. Um, so the first thing is uh, it was noted in an interview with Painter the other day that um, Kendall Stevens is not going to be a graduate transfer unless something changes in the future with his credits. He will actually have to sit out a year if he transfers elsewhere or else go down a level in order to play immediately and I know we talked about this last week, but um, Casey, do you think that'll impact uh, maybe the decision that he makes and who would be um, willing to go after him for having to invest two years for one year of a player? I don't think ultimately it's going to change whether he leaves or not. I think it's more of a personal thing for him. I don't think he'll be able to go to a big school because I don't think they'll be looking to roster him for two years. I think it means he's probably going to go to a school that might be on the upswing with a new coach that has, you know, a two- or three-year plan ahead of him to want to make a splash. As for, I mean, it does leave the door open. His window is probably going to be smaller for schools to get in, so it might be that he doesn't find a program that he likes and comes back. But at this point, I mean, he didn't even attend the end-of-the-year banquet. Um, it just appears like he's, you know, pulled away from the team. I don't see how you come back from that and then, you know, sell yourself, sell the team, sell the coaches that you're in on the program. Yeah, that was a little I, – I did read that he didn't attend the banquet, and that was a little disheartening for me just as 
you know, someone who says he's still thinking about coming back. And especially, I mean, you know, whether he leaves or not, he was still a big part of this basketball team. I mean, I don't think it matters, in my opinion, how many minutes you play or or anything like that, how many points you score. You're still a part of this team if you're there each and every day putting in that hard work. And I understand it could have been a little awkward, it, you know, if he was there. And, and you and I don't understand the dynamics. But from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't look great. I just hope he, he makes the decision that's right for him and, and finds some happiness after this rough year for him. But I would, of course, love for that to be at Purdue because I do think he could contribute. I do, too, and that's the point. Like, everyone wants – he's a good kid. Everyone wants him to be happy. But so far, every every time it's gotten hard, it's not like he's gone into the basketball program to find solace. He's had to actually get away from it, which tells me, you know, as an armchair psychologist – this fit, this school, this Purdue program isn't what's making him happy. Yeah, I mean, you're, there's probably something to that. And we, like I said, and you said, reiterated, we, we want him to be happy. We want him to find whatever is going to make his life a little bit better um, with all the drama he's been through and injuries as well, which has to wear on you psychologically. He, he needs one good final season. To, to maybe send himself overseas to, to make some money and, and earn a living at playing basketball. So I don't begrudge him for looking. Um, but, you know, it's just it's tough when you see somebody who I think all of us agree could be, a, you know, a heck of a player at Purdue, a heck of a piece, and he just seems like a genuinely good guy. So you want good things for him, but at the same time you want to be greedy and you want those good things to happen at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, you're still hoping for the storybook ending, but it's probably not going to be – it's probably not going to be here. Yeah. So this kind of goes into what we first wanted to rant about, and this was, Casey, this was yours, so I'll let you start it out. We want to talk about the transfer process in general. Um, I don't know if you want to focus just on basketball, um, since that's kind of what we're segueing from, but um, what are your thoughts on NCAA transfer processes in general? There's no way that you can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, this is a good thing to hold back, you know, 20, 21-year-old kids from having an instant... Like, you only get so many years of playing professionally, collegiately. I don't know how you sleep at night thinking, oh, well, I'm going to take a year away from that just because an 18-year-old kid didn't pick the perfect place for him to go to school. I mean, if you tried to apply that to, like, everyone's everyday life, like, oh, you took this crappy job with this crappy boss. Yeah, if you want to go somewhere else, you're going to have to wait a year before you get paid. Or go to a job that pays you less and gives you less exposure for a year. Yeah, yeah. Then you can work immediately. Yeah, there's no way to think about it. And the graduate transfer thing is good, I think. It's both making kids graduate quicker and also taking away that year of redshirting. It's a necessary evil, but at the same time, it does create this just mess of a list of players that are looking to go somewhere else. And yeah. I wonder how many of them, if they didn't have to wait out a year, maybe they do it. Most of them are looking, you know, for a bigger program after they've gotten a little better. But I wonder how many of them were, as freshmen, sophomore, like, oh, I don't want to be here. But the only plausible way to do it is to wait one more year and then find somewhere new. Yeah, one thing I would always – I'm always curious about with the graduate transfer rule is, of course, the – it's for educational purposes, technically – if you look at the rule, because the school you go to has to have a master's degree in a program that the school you're transferring from does not have. Really? Yes. It's just complete BS because you can easily just 
say you're majoring in something and then I, I assume you could just change it later. I mean, the thing that I've always wondered is how many of these players who go for their graduate transfer year, stay at the school for one year, how many of them actually get a master's degree? How many of them actually stay that additional year after their year of basketball is up? I think it would be actually surprisingly high, at least from what we've we've taken in, because there are they are older kids, and most of them aren't like NBA ready talents, so they kind of know they have to get ready for their future. That's true. There is it, a case it, of them Ben Simmonsing it. <laughs> I mean, it just it seems to me it can't possibly be living up to the spirit of the rule. Right. Well, I don't know what is the spirit of the rule because the NCAA says so many different things that they just don't. It all just seems like regulations so they can have control of every process of these kids' lives. Do you mean transfers in general or graduate transfers? Just student-athletes in general. Oh, well. I mean, the overarching, it's got to be part of that symptom, though. I mean, yeah, they want to control the transfers. Why schools are allowed to limit where a kid is going yeah. Is really off to me. Yeah, and it's so arbitrary. I mean, they're basically they're protecting schools from saying, "Well, I don't want to play against this kid." Right. You know, like Beeline trying to restrict the transfer uh, away from the conference. It right. just there's no logic behind it Which that, that I, I'm aware of. That's not even just Beeline though, because well, in yeah. the Big Ten conference, they have it written that even with graduate transfers, you have to take a year off no matter what. Which just got drawn down by the courts last year, I believe, correct? Oh, that I don't know. Yeah, I think um, there was a transfer this last year that challenged it that they were talking about Spike also going to challenge if he wanted to go to a Big Ten school so he wouldn't have to sit out a year. Interesting. I mean, it does – it all seems so absurd because not only the impact that it has on the player saying you have to sit out a year of, quite frankly, what could be an athletic prime for these kids – in order to showcase their talent because they made a decision when they were 16, 17, whatever, that isn't panning out. But also, there's no such rule for coaches. A coach can leave any day of the week to go get a better job, whereas, you know, an athlete has to pay for changing schools. But the coach who recruited him and made those promises to them of, of course, you know, I'm going to be there the whole time you're in school. I'm going to usher you in. I'm going to make you ready for the pros. That coach could, as soon as that person signs on the dotted line, that player is bound to that that school. And the coach can simply walk out the door with uh, a briefcase full of money with no consequences. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're not in jeopardy of, you know, blowing an ACL and never having a career again or any of a thousand different things that these students have to worry about. Right. I mean, Ron Hunter can fall off a chair and break his leg or ankle or whatever. He's coaching the next day. There's no no long-term impact on him. Yeah, and even if he isn't, he's still getting paid for it. Right. So you got anything else about transfers that frustrates you? It frustrates me that Canyon Barry isn't uh, considering us as one of his top seven places. Does I don't count? know who that is. Canyon Barry? We talked no. about him on the last podcast. Uh, UC Charleston, he's uh, Rick Barry's son. He shoots the underhanded free throws. Oh, right, right, right. He played 12 games last year, averaged 19.7 points. He's a 6'6", 200-pound guard which is exactly what we need with Kendall leaving. And he has put in California, Florida, Kansas, Louisville, Miami, Northwestern, and Ole Miss as his seven. That seems odd. No Purdue, even though he wants to go to school to get a master's in nuclear engineering. Hmm. Yeah, you would think 
we would be up there just based on that alone, even if you took out the basketball aspect of it. I guess we had too many white guards already. I feel well, but he would fill a niche because he has, according to these pictures on Google Image Search, just delightful hair. Yes. Uh, Good hair, long arms. We don't we don't have um, anyone with fantastic hair on the team other than Biggie. So. Do you remember what he tried to do at the cornrows the one oh, time no. where he had him like tied in the back? Yeah, that lasted for one game, right? Yeah, that was the worst decision I've ever seen a player make. Yeah, that was not great. Um, <laughs> so, transitioning away from offering 19, 18-year-olds hair advice, uh, <laughs> the other thing, this is not Purdue-related, so don't get mad. We have to comment on the Tyler Summit news because it is just outrageous and crazy. For those of you who are not aware, Tyler Summit is the kid of legendary Tennessee women's basketball coach Pat Summit, and somehow, I wonder how, he got the head coaching job at Louisiana Tech, uh, the women's basketball program. He is only 25 years old. Do you know how old he was when he got the job? No, no. Well, he would have been 23, right? 23. Yeah, 23, and he got a... Division One college coaching job, and now two years into his uh, tenure, he has abruptly resigned, citing, quote, an inappropriate relationship, and rumors on the internet are flying, and I have to make clear that these are rumors. We do not know if this is true, but it seems likely that it's true, that he impregnated one of his own players. Regardless of that. Yeah. Well, not regardless of, but how old are you, Ledman? I am 30. So you were 23 at some point. Yes, I was. That is true. Have you ever met a 23-year-old that was capable of being around, you know, a group of 15 well-fitted, you know, girls and women that could control himself every day, day in and day out? Yes. However, to me, that's not the biggest <laughs> problem. The biggest problem to me is it, what if his, if his name was not Summit? you know he would not have gotten this job. I really don't care about that. I really think the idea that anyone 23 years old, a male, being put in charge of that many um, women that are maybe two, three years younger than him is ridiculous. Okay, I do. I mean, there is something to that. However, Has no one at Louisiana Tech ever met a male? <laughs> like none ever anywhere? Hey, I've got to stand up for my gender here and say I can act professional if need be. Yeah, but you say that, but, like, it's common that if you have people around the same age around each other at business, at work, at school, it's not, like, I'm not talking, like, criminal mischief, just they're okay. going to hook up. Okay, okay. I see what you mean now. However, <laughs> you, like, I just can't fathom the the thinking of these Louisiana Tech folks that are like, oh, you're 23 years old? Uh oh, your mom's Pat Summit. Yes, let's just hand you the reins to to our college basketball program. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. There's literally I can't think. I mean, were they that good of a basketball program? Did he like instantly make them appealing? I have no. I mean, I, I guess you have to assume that's what they were thinking. They they wanted to say, hey, look who we've got coming in. You know, maybe Pat Summit will be around. You can meet Pat Summit, but, you know. Yeah, but think about this. He's 23 years old. He gets in his car, drives down to Arkansas, and goes meets a 16-year-old girl, and then has to introduce himself to her father and mother and 
try to tell them that he's going to, you know, shepherd her? Yeah, he's going to take care of their daughter. Yeah. Like, what father is okay with that? What yeah, parents awkward, is okay with that? Awkward conversation, I think. There's just so much wrong with this whole situation. It makes no sense. It doesn't. And I get you blame him. He's married. He made a poor choice. He's over – like, that's obvious. Like, it's obviously what he did was wrong. But there's got to be a lot of blame being laid to the university for making that choice. Well, see, that's what I – I said that on Twitter, and somebody jumped me and said, well, that's a logical leap. I'm like, no, it's not at all. Yeah. I hired a 23-year-old because his last name is Summit to come in and coach these 18 to maybe if they've redshirted could be 22-year-old women, and you don't put any sort of person in charge of him at 23 years old. I understand that would be condescending and off. But if you're going to give somebody like that a chance, you got to put in some, some controls, some pro- protocols in place to make sure things are on the up and up. Yeah, like how can you have a coach where you, you wouldn't feel good about a 23-year-old having private moments with any of his players? Regardless of if he did anything or not, that's always going to be there. It's always going to be the back of your mind. He looks like a little kid. Yeah, he like, does not look 25 as he is now. No, it's it's mind-boggling. It's yeah. weird. It's it sucks for the kids. It sucks for the players. Like, Ashley Santos had to tweet out a photo of her stomach to prove that she's not pregnant. So the insinuation is he slept with two of the girls? I I guess. The the article that you sent me um, to regarding that seemed to indicate that there were two players, um, and I guess it was her and her roommate. But, I mean, again, we have we have no idea what's going on. And to toss this out, he didn't even have a good record as a coach. <laughs> He was 30 and 31. Like, come on. Yeah, no, you don't become a good coach from four years of college. No one anywhere, you have to go through being an assistant coach or playing for a long time to have anywhere near, like, the only thing he had was his name. Well, he did, he was an assistant coach at Marquette prior to getting a job at Louisiana Tech. For a year? Uh, it doesn't say on the what article I'm reading. It just says he he, he was previously a coach that assistant at Marquette. You're telling me there's not someone more qualified for the job than him when they hired him? As someone who works in HR, that's just insulting. We get mad about Burke doing whatever, but this is just... Could you imagine if you're a Louisiana Tech fan? No. (laughs) No, I don't don't know. First of all, what would go through your mind when they hired this kid? Right. And then what's going on now? It's just a mess. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch what comes out of this as it moves forward. I would imagine there's going to be some lawsuits. I'd say, it's, is it technically illegal for him to have slept with? Eh, it's, going to depend, it's going to depend on the circumstances and if there was any sort of coercion or, you know, because he does have some sort of, some sort of control over her as her head coach. So threat so, of power. Yeah, so he could have, you know, pressured her, quid pro quo of some kind. And, of course, I'm sure, you know, not to mention the – sexual harassment claims that could come out of this. So when this is all done in a few years, what is this going to be a made-for-TV movie, Hallmark Channel? Yeah, what do you think? Hallmark movie. Yeah. But we have to find out what happens to the kid and what happens to the girl. Yeah, because the one girl just vanished. She's been – her roommate doesn't know where she is. She's disappeared from the Internet. Her life is going to be ruined for the next couple of years. Yeah, that's not good. It, it's just – I mean, it's just crazy. So – we had to talk about that just because it was so ridiculous. Move on to our last topic, I think, which is 
just going to be the NCAA in general, <laughs> which I know we could talk about forever. So I just I, I look back on my younger days as I was at Purdue and and I was looking for jobs after I graduated and I really wanted to work for the NCAA. I really did because really? I thought I thought it was just you know it's this organization that helps all these kids. And then I you know read about the NCAA more. <laughs> And looked at what they've done, and they are just a terrible organization. I mean, right? Yeah, they're, it's just like so overarching everything they do, and it's so blatantly in their favor. It was what four years, four or five years ago, when Shabazz Nazir, you know, won the tournament for UConn, and then it took him having to talk about how he had to go hungry at night because the NCAA had food so controlled that the program couldn't give him more food when he was hungry. Yeah. Well, and it's like they could give bagels, but they couldn't give peanut butter or something just <laughs> absurd like that. Like, who is sitting around making these rules? It's, I mean, it is endemic of a bigger issue the same way with bills and Congress and all that. But it is just this, like, they have this giant collection of rules almost all of them arbitrary in it's somewhat protective of players, but it's mostly protective of the NCAA and what they want. Oh, absolutely. Above everything else. I guess the biggest thing, and we touched on it when we were talking about this right before, the student athletes are not represented. So how are they ever going to get a fair shake? And I know you have a lot of feelings on this. So yeah, if you well, want to lay that out. First of all, the term student athlete is completely made up by the NCAA. They made it up so they wouldn't have to pay them. They wouldn't have to do any of these things that you have to do with employees. And I think we can all agree that these these athletes are employees. Right. It, you can you can turn a phrase all you want, but the fact is these students who become athletes work for the university. They bring in money for the university. They put on, in essence, shows for the university. They help with marketing for the university. There is no way you can say that these students as slash athletes aren't employees of the university. But the NCAA, because they got sued, basically created the term student-athlete so that they would not have to provide benefits to these kids. And it's just absurd because so many of these kids just get screwed over by the system in order for them to stay amateurs, which has no place in today's athletic society. Pro basketball players play in the Olympics. Half the people in the Olympics are not amateurs. But for whatever reason, the NCAA is still concerned that their their athletes are amateurs and that they're student athletes and they're students first. And that's why they're student athletes and not athlete students. There was a Colorado football player that was part of the Olympics, I believe, and he wasn't allowed to get sponsored for his Olympics to pay for all his training and everything because that violated his football stature. Jeez. Yeah, none of it makes sense. Yeah, like like I said, the only the only reason the term student athlete even came up was there was a lawsuit in the 1950s because football players who were injured tried to collect workers' comp, and the NCAA was like, oh, we can't have that. <laughs> So they argued that they're just students and they just happen to play sports. When in reality, we know there's a large portion of these people who are athletes at schools who the school would not take if they were just there for academics. Right. The NCAA made a billion dollars in revenue last year. They're very good at hiding revenue, though, and not making it profit. Yeah, but I was reading something on that where one of their biggest comebacks is they can't afford to pay students. Right. But it's 
just that they spend money so like ridiculously all around for all these you know media buys and for all this you know big screen TVs and souped up athletic offices and all of this. There's money to be had. It's just being placed, you know, in the pockets of the adults. Yeah, and you, I mean, you make a good point, especially with individual schools. They're always claiming poor because they have to in order to show that their balance sheet is basically zero. So they'll put money into things that they don't need. They'll redo structures that don't need redone. They'll add extra perks like those extra big TVs. They'll buy Xbox Ones for their uh, locker rooms. They'll do whatever they need to do to put the money everywhere but back actually to the students. And and they always talk about the fear of, well, if if we just made it a free system, you know, Alabama would just outspend everyone and all of the, the little schools and whatever wouldn't have a chance. They already don't have a chance. Like, there's right. no, there's no, like, mixing around the pot. The last, like, Villanova's the biggest upset of a winner since, oh, pretty much they're the biggest upset winner since Arkansas won a basketball title in 94. Besides that, it's all UCLA, Kentucky, Arizona, Connecticut, Michigan State, Duke. It's all big-name schools. They already spend more than everyone else. They're just protected by the NCAA. Right. There's already more than one class of school, like you said. You know, you're either a football school or you're a basketball school. That's where you put your money. Some schools, rare, can be both football and basketball and be good at both. But that's probably not going to happen because these schools focus on one or the other in order to bring in more revenue, hoping that if they bring in enough revenue, it'll then allow them to move other places. But nowhere in their minds do they ever think, oh, we'll make this money based on our football program, and we'll give these kids a nice life. Right. And one one thing I wanted to talk about with this is there's actually a case ongoing right now. Um, the NCAA just got denied summary judgment, so tried, they tried to get the case basically thrown out mm-hmm. um, because there's a wrongful death suit um, following – this is Division Three, Frostburg State. There was a football player who died in 2011 – and this lawsuit has been going on since 2013. The kid died during practice following a head injury, which, of course, you know, there's a whole other issue with football and head injuries right. right there. But they've been going on and on about this. And the NCAA basically said there's no – there's a special relationship because it only is meant to protect college athletes. Or I'm sorry, that's what the, the folks argued. The NCAA argued since it's a sports organization, it has no legal duty to protect college athletes. Really? Yes, that would, and that's straight from their brief or whatever motion they turned into the court. That's indicative of when a group of people do not have representation. There's no voice. There's no way. The only way to do it is to probably unionize and actually have a voice because there's no one fighting for the players' rights. No, not at all. There's no – you file a complaint against the people that are, you know, you're complaining about. It almost goes to, to a system like the NFL has where Roger Goodell dispenses all justice and he reviews justice. You know, it's like if... Right, but there are checks and balances because the players' union goes back and then it gets... I mean, how many overturned decisions did he have last year? About six or seven or pretty much everyone he tried to do? Yeah, I mean, it's just... You look at Northwestern and what they tried to do with trying to unionize and then, of course, that didn't end up working and... Not to get you know too political here, but I do think the the athletes have to do something 
because they are getting royally screwed, not just the fact that these schools and the NCAA make millions of dollars off of them, and they see no money, so to say, short of this new stipend that um, is being rolled out to them, but, you know, just for their health. I mean, these kids, we know football is not a safe sport, but we watch it anyway. We go to it. We we spend money on merchandise. It's a cash cow for these athletic programs, but yet there's no real protections in place for these kids once they get injured, even at the school, but especially if they have lingering effects after they leave the school. Right, and that's what a big NFL suit's going on now where they're paying right. out a billion dollars. But there's nothing for that in college because they don't have a player's union. Yeah. And it is – the safety thing is real. Like, it's one thing, sure, basketball players don't get played. They're also, for the most part, not ruining their lives for the rest of their lives. Football players are. There is a ridiculous amount of college football athletes, like close to a million, I believe. And there's only 16,000 spots in the NFL. Like, most of these kids are being hurt, being taken advantage of, having money made off of them. And, yeah, they're getting an education out of it, but that's it. And the suffering they're going to go through, the brain injuries, all of that, it's that's just on them once they leave school. Yeah. There's no system to support them after. And I think you can see a lot of people, especially football players themselves, starting to realize this and realizing maybe it's not worth it. I mean, you look at the number of NFL players who've retired in the last one or two seasons that are, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old, and they always say, well, you know, it just wasn't worth it. I made enough money. I don't. I want to be able to, to meet my grandkids. I want to be able to walk around without pain in my knees. I want to be able to dress myself. And when you're in a situation like that, you have to realize there is some sort of, of problem in your sport. And it goes back to the schools basically just putting their – their hands over their ears and ignoring the problem and saying, well, you know, the system works, so there's nothing we can do about it. And and all the while, the poor kids get screwed. Like Chris Borland just uh, retired from San Francisco two years ago. Yeah. At 24, he played at Wisconsin. And some of the horror stories he told about Wisconsin and the injuries he had and just all they do is they shoot you up and then you can't feel it and then you keep going further. And, like, that's at the college level, which – it's probably less controlled than the NFL just because there's so many different programs, so many different players. Like, how can the NCAA actually control everything? Right. It's up to the school, the coaches. And there's this war mentality that we have with football that is just stupid. Yeah. It's not worth, you know, risking your whole rest of your comfort of your life for this dumb game. And I struggle to watch any college football at all. I wrote a piece last year when I went to the spring game. I hadn't really watched Purdue in about two years because I moved out of Lafayette. And I just couldn't – I couldn't put myself back there because there's like – I'm older now. These kids are younger than me. And like every play, there's just car wrecks. And the human body cannot sustain that much violence over an entire lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading um, an article just this NFL season about Peyton Manning after he had finished up a game, before he got injured, um, and a reporter was, like, shadowing him that day. And after they got in the locker room, Peyton answered all the questions, just sat there in his uniform while he was while he was answering the questions. And not until after everyone left the locker room did he begin to actually take off his pads and, and change clothes. 
he had to have people help him take off his pads. He had to have people help him tie his shoes. He couldn't he couldn't do these things on his own because he's played football for so long. And he's a quarterback. Granted, yes, quarterbacks get hit, but they're not getting hit over the middle like wide receivers. They're not, you know, getting hit like uh, running backs are. Right. It's it's protected to a degree, and they're they've tried to do what they can to make it safer. But you know, he, when you look at look at a guy who's played like like he has for so long, and you see what what his body is becoming, you have to question whether this can continue. He can't feel his fingertips. Right. He said at the beginning of the year, like all the next surgeries and everything, he just can't feel them. Yeah. Like that's horrifying. And it's not it's not just it's not the concussions alone. No. It's the sub concussive hits that as they multiply, you know, are worse than one really big bad hit. And those right. are happening constantly. The players are so freaking big now. Mm-hmm. They're six six, three hundred and thirty pounds running four sixes, like Human beings should not move that quick, and they definitely should not move that quick into each other. Right. We're we're a long way away from the guys smoking cigarettes at halftime <laughs> of the Super Bowl. Yeah, but even back then, I mean, between the cigarettes, they'd be throwing amphetamines and everything else into their body. <laughs> right. That is true. <laughs> um, I got to – I know you've mentioned it a couple times, but I got to at least say it because I know if we don't, we'll have people all over us. So the opposite perspective of the NCAA – I'll be devil's advocate of my own argument, is, of course, these kids do get their education paid for, assuming that they're they're football or basketball or are, are, you know, a big-name player on one of the little sports. They do get a free education. They do get free housing. And depending on what school you're at and if you're out of state, that can be one heck of a lot of money. I think we all know that. But, you know, these kids, and we, we look at them that, you know, they're getting fame, they're getting all that, and that's the argument people make is, you know, they are getting paid, but just in education, so they should shut up. And on the one hand, I used to I used to be on that side. I used to say, you know, I would have loved to have been able to do what they did and get my school paid for and walk out of there with little notoriety and and no no student loan debt. I mean, it's a great gift, especially now with the rising cost of college. But these people are doing so much more for the university. You have to know there's an additional value there that they're just not getting. Particularly with football, the problem isn't what we're offering. It's how we're doing it. There's no way you could say that we have fully – we still don't fully understand it ourselves, but there's no way they know the full risk of what they're doing to their body, what we're asking them to do. All the horror stories of, you know, pain pills and pain shots to go get through the next play. We don't treat them like 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 student-athletes. We don't treat them like students. We don't treat them – we barely treat them like people half the time. They're a jersey. They're a name on the back. They're a name on the front. And there are gladiators. We want them to entertain us at whatever cost to them. And, of course, they're going to take it because a lot of these kids are coming from, you know, the worst situations in the world that we couldn't even imagine. And they want to get out and they want to, They want that 1% chance to make money and, you know, pay for their family and buy their mom a house. It's the fact that we take so much advantage of it that's the problem. And yeah. an education doesn't – like, yeah, that's that's valuable and that costs a lot. But how much do you price, like, what they give up with their lives? Right. With the new stipends they have, I just looked them up. Um, they only range from roughly 2000 to roughly $5,000 for 
for a year in what they give these kids. I don't know for for a whole whole year for roughly you could split the difference and we'll we'll even say four thousand just to give them a little more than the average. There's no way for four thousand dollars that's going to get you through a whole year. I think my issue isn't with the money. It's it's their safety. If we could if we could invest that money or create a way to make it safe that you know if they get a concussion you know what they sit out for three months that's what you're supposed to do none of this rushing back for the game or all of this stuff if there was some way to make it safe then fine you know we don't technically need to pay them all that much they chose to do it but in this this world where the NCAA just cares about money I mean it's these kids that are paying for it yeah and it does go to, like you said, that warrior mentality of, oh, I I have a head injury, but it doesn't matter. My team needs me. These fans want to see me. I'm, you know, the the baddest mother out there. I got to get out there and hit some people. And I don't know what you can do to change that attitude to make it a little more thinking long term to say this head injury could affect me uh, when I'm in my 30s and I'm in my 40s. So this is something I need to back down from. But that is something that has to change in order for anything else from a safety perspective, I think, to take hold. It's going to happen like everything else, like gay athletes in sports. It's going to take, you know, a true star to be like, I'm not going to play this game. I'm hurt. I'm not going to I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to. Peyton Manning never should have came back last year. How many neck surgeries do you need? How much money do you need? How much glory do you need? They're going to have to start caring more about their long-term health than this 10, 11 year window of sports and everything we've made it up to be. Yeah, that's true. Um, and one other thing about the NCAA, at least from my perspective, and I'm sure it bothers you as well, just the way they punish people <laughs> is completely inconsistent. Yes. I mean, just look at Syracuse being in the tournament in the Final Four this year after all the stuff that had gone on with them. North Carolina. Um, yeah, North Carolina as well. Yeah, so, they technically have all these mandatory rules, but then they. You know, they shift it here and there as they want, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, the joke anytime a major program breaks a rule is, uh-oh, you know, North Dakota State better watch out. They're going to get the hammer dropped on <laughs> Because the NCAA knows the teams that make them the money are the ones that actually compete for titles, the ones that have big fan bases, so they don't want to do anything to take those people off the air. They don't want to do anything um, – to make sure that those teams can't come back because those teams bring fans and those team bring teams bring dollar signs. And at the end of the day, that's ultimately what the NCAA cares about. Yeah, they bring down the hammer once a decade. SMU yeah. in football and basketball and then Miami in football. That's, I mean, that's, we see that a lot with all the sports. Like the same thing with Goodell. He tried to make, tried to suspend Tom Brady for four games, he, even though he, suspended Ray Rice for two games for punching someone. Right. Until a video came out, and then it's a four-game suspension. Right. It's just, I mean, there's just so much inconsistency and hypocrisy in that organization that I don't know what needs to be done in order to make it more fair for the athletes. And, you know, their purpose is good. Their purpose is to make sure there's there's fairness for the athletes. Their purpose is to make sure that things are on the up and up. But they just don't meet that goal. Yeah, because it should be a nonprofit. Yes. But it's not. And the more we go forward with, you know, DVR and Netflix and all this, 
sporting is going to be the thing for TVs to make money on. So oh, yeah, it's live. It's going to get worse. Live television. Yeah, the stakes are going to get higher, and it's going to get worse. Did you know this is a um, – I'd like to think it's a little-known fact. Did you know that Teddy Roosevelt actually helped save football in America? I did not. How did you do it? Uh, because when he was, you know, back in the early 1900s, a lot of football players were dying because, you know, it was obviously a lot less safe back then. Um, and in 1905, he actually forced the coaches and athletic uh, advisors from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton to come to the White House to talk about football and how to reduce the brutality in the game. And uh, Ben Simmons always jokes about it. We need a sports czar. Like, someone with actual power to overhandle all this stuff. Yeah, so, like, one person for everything? Well, obviously he has his people underneath him, but, like, an actual, like, almost legislative body that governs the broad spectrum of sports. Well, that's what – see, that's the problem, though. That's what the NCAA is supposed to do. (laughs) That's true. So, I mean, you you would have to have somebody – who is not going to be corrupted and is not going and is going to want to basically start over. I mean, I right. think that's the problem when you get a big organization like the NCAA. You can't just go in and change things piecemeal and expect it to make gigantic results. If you do it that way, it's going to take a long, long time. And how many more student athletes are going to be impacted by that? Whereas if you were to go in there, blow the thing up and start over, maybe you could make some immediate change, but something like that's just not going to happen. So is the path towards a somewhat better relationship just a student-athlete union? I, I mean, I think it would be one step, but I don't – it wouldn't solve everything. Um, but, I mean, it goes back to what you said. There's no one fighting for these players. Right. Um, there may be an individual athletic director here or there or, you know, a powerful coach who tries to fight, fight for the players and, and fight to get them what they need. But at the end of the day, those people have their own interests. You know, the athletic director needs to keep his um, donations and his money coming in. Right. And he knows the more he pays to the players, the the farther in the hole he becomes and the more money he has to raise. And the coach knows that he needs to get the top players and he needs to basically run them ragged to make them as best as they can be so that he can win, so that he can get a better contract, get more money, and continue to build his career. I mean, it's a whole situation of everyone with competing interests. And you have to figure out how to get those people to work together in order to come up with any sort of solution. Well, that reminds me of the uh, New York Times piece where they wrote about Shoup and his firing with uh, his dealings with Morgan Burke and Morgan Burke's anti-union player stance. Yeah. I wish we would get more outraged over Burke doing that than, you know, dumb stuff about Hazel or whatever. Yeah. This is the stuff that matters that we should be yelling about, that we should be caring about. That was a weird article, though, because it was written by a friend of the show right. family. No, it was, I mean, I think I was the one that jumped on the reply piece. It was His defense was that Shoop shouldn't be fired because of football reasons, <laughs> which right. didn't exist anywhere. But we do need more people like Shoop that are willing to, you know, voice the minority opinion, particularly yeah. people in power. Mm-hmm. And we should as a society, as people, as crazy internet folk, make, like, that an issue. Push it. Make it so they can't ignore it anymore. Because that's pretty much what the NCAA is doing. They're just, you know, they don't have to answer to anyone. So 
we're the only voice that could possibly do anything about it. Yeah, and we're not exactly the most powerful voice out there. No. And on that note, uh, Casey, unless you've got anything more else to add, I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, no, I think we're good. And let you guys know that next week um, we should have one regarding the spring football game uh, because it does take place uh, Saturday the 16th. I believe we'll have at least Travis in attendance, um, perhaps others. I might go. I don't want to. I don't blame you. Um <laughs> So if we do uh, have some folks there in attendance, we'll get some firsthand views of what to expect from the football team next year. And see, you notice how hypocritical how hypocritical it is for us to talk about this. I know. We, I hate it. That was what my whole piece was on last year. It's so bad. But, I mean, it. you know, it, I love football. I can't help it. But I, we have to find a way to make it better for the players, better for everyone involved and safer. Um, so we're not ruining these kids' lives. I don't even love football anymore. What? Like, I don't love football anymore. Oh, see, I, I mean, I love basketball more than I love football, but it really does. I mean, it hurts you to watch it sometimes. It does, especially in person. And at the spring game, you're like ten rows up. Yeah. And you yeah, I mean, you forget how big these guys are. Or the sounds they make. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so, well, this is depressing. <laughs> we keep what going back to this. Yeah. So. That is all we have for you this week. We will chat with you next week, hopefully with some details from the spring football game, and hopefully we won't be as impressive.